Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of Everything Under the Sun is sponsored by NHTSA. Sadly, in 2020, 24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of those incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's. So if you see a child unattended and you can't locate their parents, call 911. If the child looks unresponsive, do whatever it takes to get him or her out safely, including breaking the window. Your actions could save the life of a child. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world, bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors, covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Welcome into episode nine of the summer series as we kind of ease out of our vacation weeks here on the Everything Under the Sun podcast. We're going to check in with Brian Leda about what's going on in the skies overhead as we get into the last month of uh, seasonal summer for most of us, the month of August. Brian May stops by to talk about gardening and we visit with our friend Bill Dagger about the weather for the upcoming weekend and the week beyond. Friends, sit back, relax and enjoy. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. You know, when I get back from my longer vacation in July, I kind of already feel like summer's waning. But here we are on the weekend where we turn the calendar from July to August. We wanted to take this opportunity as we kind of come out of vacation weeks here on our podcast at AccuWeather.com to catch up with a couple of folks to talk about some things that you might be thinking about late summer. I know we've been really enjoying the stories about this uh, race to suborbital space from civilians. We'll talk a little bit about that. And we're just coming off a couple of meteor showers. We have a couple of things to look forward to in the skies above the curator of accuweather.com's articles and information that you see a lot about the space and the skies and also with the curator of our accuweather.com accuweather astronomy twitter feed brian later joins us here on everything under the sun to talk about what's going on over our heads all right, Brian, it's good to have you back here as uh, we get into uh, the second half of summer here. And for some of us, summer's fleeting. You know, Brian, I was thinking back, you know, last year we had a multiple amounts of uh, some really amazing things up in the celestial sky. And then was with this podcast drops here on this Friday, the last Friday of July, we're coming out of a couple of uh, meteor showers. And there's always uh, the Perseids that comes in uh, August, peaks in August. We'll talk about that in a minute. But maybe this summer's big news has been obviously the space race from folks uh, that aren't necessarily trained professionals. Uh, the folks that have been getting up into suborbital situations, Richard Branson with his setup that happened a few weeks ago. And just last week, everybody was certainly fixated on uh, Jeff Bezos and the, the different styles of getting up into the suborbital area into space, different uh, outcomes. Actually, both outcomes were good, it looks like. So that's been a real exciting thing, at least for me to 
to have space launches and those kinds of things back in the forefront here as we've gone over the last couple of weeks. Has that translated into more interest on our site? And do you think for people that are watching that space race go on? Yeah, there haven't been any big astronomical events in the night sky in the first part of summer. We are heating up here heading into August, but the focus and the spotlight has been on Richard Branson with Virgin Galactic and Jeff Bezos with Blue Origin. Both of them are billionaires and they're funding this. And they have these rockets that take people into space, which has been just a dream for years to send people into space like this, not part of NASA, not to go up to do missions on the International Space Station. And so it was really eye grabbing and got people's attention like, hey, this is a reality. Maybe one day I, as a civilian, could go into space, experience zero gravity uh, and then come back down to Earth safely without having to, you know, jump through hoops at NASA and go through all this elaborate training to become an astronaut, you know? The only thing you need right now to do that is billions of dollars, apparently, or millions. I mean, the one seed uh, from Bezos was up for sale, right? You're exactly right. Uh, Jeff Bezos, he had a kind of like a charity fundraiser for the first open seat on their rocket. And all the money went to charity and the winning bid was $28 million. So <laughs> change, right? I, I don't know about you, Dean, but I certainly no. can't afford that. No, that's, um, uh, that's a little bit out of my price range. And with Richard Branson, uh, his flights are going to be a little bit cheaper. Uh, they're averaging around a quarter of a million dollars. Blue Origin, the seats for that are not going to be $28 million down the road. It's going to be coming down. They haven't released a price yet, but it's still a pretty big chunk of change if you want to go to space. But the dream is down the road, these flights are going to be happening often and kind of like commercial airlines, you'll be able to hop on one that just is happening this weekend, go up to space and come back down for much cheaper than these people are doing it today. Well, it, it is uh, certainly did capture folks fancy. And I, and I think it was interesting that, you know, the different approaches, you know, the Branson approach is a plane that flies up to a certain point then drops the, the payload, which then ignites up in the uh, upper levels of the atmosphere before it goes up into space. And then, of course, uh, Bezos's rocket is just a, as a pure rocket. I think the most intriguing and interesting thing for me for that was how the booster went up, took them up, separated, and then came back and landed perfectly back on the launch pad. I think that that is a, is an amazing thing, especially from when I grew up and we were used to splashdowns in the ocean and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty amazing. And then, of course, landing within, you know, several hundred feet of the of the of the launch pad. So you wonder, though, Brian, how long till this becomes passe? I mean, the regular space program by the middle of the Apollo program that once they were going up regularly to the moon, people actually kind of lost interest. <laughs> Is that our dream in life that going into space, people will consider it just to be a normalcy? I wonder how soon that is going to occur. Yeah, I think that's a real possibility as these happen more and more frequently. I mean, look at SpaceX. The first couple of times that they landed one of their rockets upright in the middle of the ocean, people were just it blew their minds. But now you'll wake up in the morning and say, oh, yeah, they had another launch and it landed again. Good for them. <laughs> you know, and so already in the span of four or five years, that has become just commonplace. So I, I think once they really ramp up production of these rockets for the space tourism and there's a rocket going up, you know, every month or so, even more frequently than that, I think it will become, you know, people they'll lose a bit of fascination. But at the same time, maybe they want to go on that rocket. Maybe they're still so fascinated that they want to be, you know, the first of their circle of friends to go up into space. Be interesting to see how that plays out here over the next uh, months and years. 
more in our control of what we can see and do is enjoyment of the cosmos and the skies that we can see with or without aid. And certainly one of the things, at least as I go back to being a kid, uh, summers uh, meant maybe staying up a little late out with dad, mom, and the family and watching some meteor showers. Now we're coming off a couple that are just kind of had their peak as we uh, drop this podcast here on the last Friday of, of July. The last couple of days, we've seen the peaks of uh, the Southern Delta Aquarians and the Alpha Capricornids. But the big uh, show in the sky this late summer and into the early fall looks like it's going to be the Perseids this year, which it has a special place in my heart here because when I was a kid, we used to go up to our cabin up in uh, North Central Pennsylvania near Ricketts Glen State Park. And we used to go, well, we spotted deer. And if, if folks don't know what that is all about, if you're in Pennsylvania, it's something folks do. They go out at night and look at deer that are out and about with a spotlight. We'd go to a, a field, Brian, that... Uh, not affected by any light pollution, turn off the car lights, let our eyes acclimate, see the Milky Way in front of us, and then just start counting Perseid meteors here in the month of August. Talk about when the peak of the Perseids is coming up and uh, what we can expect, what meteor showers wane and wax in terms of how good they are at times. Is uh, they thinking this is going to be a good year or maybe a, a little bit less than normal year? So this year with the Perseids, if you're only going to watch one meteor shower this year, this has got to be it. Uh, compared to last year, this year is going to be a lot better. The moon is not going to be in the sky. Last year, the full moon was up for the peak of the Perseids. I remember, and that really yeah. cuts down on the number yep. of meteors you could see per hour because the moon is just so bright, that natural light pollution. But this year, it's just a thin crescent moon that's going to be up for a small portion of the night. And the rest of the night's going to be completely dark. So head out to that dark area, you know, turn off all the lights, don't look at your cell phone, uh, and you could see as many as 60 to 100 meteors per hour, which there's not many meteor showers every year that can reach that high. There's only one other one that happens in the wintertime when it's really cold. So. Right. You don't want to be out then. So what, August 12th, 13th, does that seem like the, the peak this year of the, of the Perseids? So the peak this year is, I believe, a Wednesday night, August 11th into the 12th. If you have bad weather that night, look for the night before, the night after. They're still pretty active. It's not just one night and it's done. It's over a long period of time, but that night of the 11th into the 12th, that is the absolute best night to look. You'll be able to start to see some shooting stars streaking across the sky as soon as nightfall, but they'll slowly ramp up more and more heading into you know 2, 3, 4 a.m. if you're up for staying up that late. A lot of times these get their names uh, in terms of the, we call them the meteor, the Perseids, because this comes from near the constellation Perseus. At least uh, that's where it appears these uh, these meteors come from as they're streaking through the sky. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up. Uh, they all originate from near that constellation that has its namesake, you know, the Perseus, Perseid meteor shower. But the important thing is you don't need to stare in that direction. You know, you don't need to look directly at that constellation Meteors are going to appear all over the night sky. So kind of sounds like I'm being sarcastic, but just look up. Uh, just look to the area of the sky where you have the widest view of, that you can possibly get. Just lay back, maybe put a towel on the ground and just soak in the night sky and start counting. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things sometimes our periphery tends to catch our peripheral vision sometimes catches those streaks a little bit faster sometimes than if we were actually really zoning in on one small spot. If you kind of relax your eyes and let it go and then, you know, some of those uh, fireballs in some of these meteor showers, I mean, they can go on for seconds and <laughs> I'll swear I've even heard some sound from them at times here at, at late at night. So it really is a show. And so again, uh, August for that. And then as we go through... Uh, 
the rest of the uh, August too is another thing. Uh, two planets, another conjunction situation here. Saturn and Jupiter, right? Uh, those are going to be uh, really prominent in the sky here as we go through the month of August. Yeah, it's kind of an encore of what we had last summer. Last year, Jupiter and Saturn were really prominent all summer long. This year, once again, same situation, except for they kind of flipped. Last year, Jupiter was on the right, Saturn was on the left. Now Saturn's on the right and Jupiter's on the left. But ah. this is going to be the best time to look at these planets. They're going to be as bright as can be. And if you have a telescope kind of in the back of the closet, might want to dust it off, finally set it up and look at these planets because although they are visible to the naked eye, having a telescope really enhances your view. You could see the four largest moons of Jupiter with a basic telescope. And you might think, oh, those are just moons of Jupiter. But the way I see it is when Galileo built his first telescope, this is what he saw. He looked at Jupiter and realized these are moons orbiting the planet. So if you look at Jupiter through a telescope, you're looking at the same exact thing that Galileo did hundreds of years ago. Yeah, that's pretty uh, That's pretty cool to think about it that way. And then obviously uh, with technology, we've gotten so much better. Um, good news that the Hubble Space Telescope seems to be back in action too. You know, they were having some issues with that here over the last uh, several months, but that seems to be back communicating and working with folks. Um, so that conjunction, the meteor showers, uh, still, I think we're we're kind of lacking from eclipses, right? We don't really have any lunar or solar eclipses to think about here in the next few months that are going to be directly over the North American situation that would that would do anything uh, spectacular, right? Not in the short term, but. Mark your calendar for November 19th. Uh, all of the United States and North America and even parts of Asia and Australia are going to be seeing a pretty impressive partial lunar eclipse. Okay. Uh, it's going to be almost a total lunar eclipse. Something like 97% of the moon is going to go through Earth's inner shadow, which is the darkest part. So it's going to be a pretty impressive show. So like I said, November 19th, it's happening over several hours. It's not like a solar eclipse where you only have a small window and you need to be in a certain location. With a lunar eclipse like this, you could just step outside. Even if you're in a place like New York City or Los Angeles with a lot of light pollution, it's going to be really easy to see. And you're just going to slowly watch the moon pass through the Earth's shadow. And that's going to be basically the big event that we have after the Perseid meteor shower. All right. So that's, uh, again, what's the date of that? November? November 19th. Again, um, coming off these uh, most recent meteor showers, Perseids coming up in August, Jupiter, Saturn. They're going to play with the moon a little bit. That was some of the most fun things last year when the, the conjunction got, it, it looked like Pac-Man sometimes was trying to eat one of those uh, planets and, and running away from the other in some of those situations. That's going to be, an, uh, just love that. Especially, is that a better situation to look at in the evening or is that a more of a better early morning situation? Or is it kind of all night long, those two are going to play tag with each other? The two planets will be visible all night long long rising in the east slowly going across the southern sky and then setting in the west right around sunrise and like you said about the moon we have a full moon on july 24th and that's going to be right near these planets so that's going to be a good night to look for them all kind of the trio bunched together in the sky all night long it's just a great time like i said to break out that telescope finally that you haven't set up in months <laughs> You can follow Brian on Twitter, WXLADA, WXLADA, his last name. And then you can also follow our AccuWeather Astronomy feed for the latest alerts at AccuAstronomy on Twitter. And then keep checking on AccuWeather.com. You know, when we have celestial events, we do a very good job about kind of writing those stories and making sure folks know who's going to get the best view and who may not. So 
keep up to date over the next couple of weeks. Another thing we do a good job of is kind of predicting trends when it comes to things like gardening. And our friend Brian May is going to join me up next. He visits and talks about how we keep those summer blooms going as we get into August and try to get the most out of our vegetable garden and some things that we may need to do with our perennial gardens as we get ready for fall. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore, your host. Just reminded, before we get into the garden talk here this week, I, I did want to remind folks that just saw some stories this past couple of days of more shark sightings around Long Island. And we're seeing that again up in towards the Cape Cod area. This is no surprise if you were with us three weeks ago for our Shark Week episode. Dr. Stephen Congiora from Florida Atlantic University joined us and had some great information. If you haven't heard that podcast, go back. Again, it's uh, three episodes. Episodes before this one, episode six of our summer series, where we talk about Shark Week. Great segments there with Dr. Stephen Cagiora of the Florida Atlantic University, who's been on many of the Shark Week specials, talking about those kinds of things. A gentleman who's uh, near and dear to our hearts here at AccuWeather.com, one of our great uh, AccuWeather team members who works in our radio division and also has his own landscaping and gardening business. Brian May is stopping by to join us. Got a lot of things to ask him here as we transition out of summer towards fall in our gardens. Brian's here to talk about some of the tips you need to know. All right, Brian, as we uh, start to uh, think about uh, August, I can't believe August is here in our midst as we uh, turn the calendar this weekend. I've been enjoying some great blooms. Uh, I sent you a picture of my dinner plate dahlia, which is They're amazing. It is. It's like huge. I'll maybe post that again here as this uh, podcast drops this weekend. But, um, you know, now, I mean, we dig those up in the fall. Yeah, I do. Uh, dahlias are, are definitely yeah. something I, I've, uh, you can't keep in here in zone six. So yeah, we definitely dig those tubers up and I've tried my best to keep them. That's something I'm going to work on a little bit harder, especially those dinner plates. I don't think I want to let those go because no. uh, I spend too much money in the, in the spring on new tubers every year. But Absolutely. Um, you know, here, I want to run a couple of scenarios by you. Um, I, obviously this is a time of the year where we're trying to maximize um, the big blooms get all the kinds of uh, the flowers that we've worked so hard to see the fruition. Also, our vegetables too starting to pop. Uh, also, kinds of good stuff. I think some people there, there's kind of mixed messages I hear at times, Brian, about whether or not you should be fertilizing in addition to watering this time of year. You know, I, I think in some situations it may be where you kind of let that go and let the plant bloom, or but others say, yeah, keep fertilizing through blooms. What is, is it really uh, plant dependent in that situation, whether or not we should still be fertilizing as much as we were earlier in the season? I would say don't overthink fertilizing. Um, I'm a big believer that the plants will tell you what they need. Um, if you see a plant yellowing um, and you know you're giving it enough water, it might be lacking something in the soil. I don't also believe in fertilizing the whole flower bed per se. I, I like to individually fertilize. Yeah, because different plants and different right. uh, things have different needs, right? Some are want more nitrogen than others and those kinds of things. Yeah. And the whole point of fertilizing is to add 
something to the soil that the plant is missing. So what I do, I tell people just kind of watch your plants, listen to them. They'll tell you what they need. Um, For example, if you see one yellowing, but you know you're giving it enough water, try fertilizer um, individually. You have to be really careful about over fertilizing. That's where I think people get Right. Lost because yeah. hearing all these, oh, you've got a fertilizer, buy this, buy that. But I do it per season. Um, and, you know, the landscaping season has a lot of little mini seasons, like early spring, mid spring, late spring. I do it once during one of those times. Right. Obviously, I think, too, I think people can overwater. They're, they're like, oh, I got to water. I got to water. I got to water. I think yeah. you just have to be really cognizant about how much water you've had in the last few weeks and months. And then the the roots may be OK. You may need to water a little bit spot watering in the afternoons or evenings to get some of the surface, uh, give it a little bit of surface water. But, you know, I think for some of us, especially it just seems we've been having more and more showers and thunderstorms this summer than others, that deep water may be OK. So I, I want to run a scenario by you. So I bought a peony. Okay. For half price because you know it was it's it's getting to be clearance time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and this was another Ito, and you saw my beautiful yellow Ito peonies this year. Yeah. So this was a another one. The the problem is we didn't get it in the ground mm-hmm. uh quick enough. And so when we got back from our vacation, even being watered and stuff, and I think it had developed a little bit of the mildew that peonies sometimes do on the leaves and it wasn't doing real well. So the first thing we did was we did get it into the ground once we got back from the vacation. Peonies are things. And I think a lot of things in our garden, you know, like you said, have a season. So, you know, your earlier stuff and peonies is definitely an earlier thing like poppies. So my thought is I've been kind of removing the leaves as they look pretty, you know, bad and they're not recovering. And because basically like with the peony, right, I've, I've, it's not going to bloom anymore. And so let's, let's get that energy back to the stalks and to the, uh, the, the root ball itself. Right. So am I thinking rightly in those situations? Absolutely. You should cut the whole thing off. One thing, one big task I'm doing right now, actually all I'm doing right now in a lot of gardens is just what we call deadheading. Yeah. Um, Because you want to remove those spent blooms um, and, and something like a a peony and iris maybe. Yes. Iris need to be cut. Asiatic lilies are, are are past, right? Right. So one thing I'm doing is um, I'm all about showy gardens. So I want to cut those dead kind of ugly now, now ugly <laughs> right plants i want to get rid of those so things that, that are means. things that were were beautiful a month right. or so ago now right. they're not and and the, their I, show is over their show is over and and honestly their purpose is over i you know you you see that with the spring blooming stuff the the lilies and the and the tulips and stuff and you can tell sometimes as they start to yellow that's the time to start to cut them down and so perennial garden if you're if you're doing it for that ever blooming show you want to keep it moving so yes, you, you want to get rid of that stuff and and what you should have something planted next to them that's going to bloom now 
you know, anything else that we should be thinking about as we're kind of coming down into uh, the towards the end of the blooming season uh, here in the next month or so? Is it time to, I guess it's already time to start thinking spring and what I want to do for my spring garden uh, sure. and, and, and certainly my catalog list. Yeah. It seems like every day I open and I get a new catalog from Brex or Spring Hill or some of those places. The, re- the reason yeah. they're sending them now to you is because now is really the time to start planning out your spring garden you know in perennial landscaping you're always looking ahead to what's next you know next comes fall now is a good time to go out and and get the mums that you want to place in your garden if you don't already have those but also ordering whatever spring bulbs you want uh, to come up in the spring. Speaking of mums, uh, Brian helped me out early in the season. That we had one of our uh, mums that was coming up, and it had that uh, I forget the name of the bug that it was, but you yeah. know, your 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 herbal. Uh, well, it's it was an organic kind of a, a spray that we use work great and uh Good. that 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 looks great and you can see the uh, the heads of the mums ready to ready to burst i think yeah it's just again crazy that we're, we're coming out of solar summer here brian this is the coming into the first week of august now the sun's more of a, a spring and a fall angle here over yeah. the next uh, couple of weeks so but it looks like uh, i think uh, we're in good shape to have a longer growing season especially up here in the northeast it seems like the nice weather is going to continue a little bit longer and i'm really enjoying that. some of these things here anything else that you would want to bring up to folks as we get ready to start to get into the latter parts of summer here in our gardens my advice is always uh keep it keep it looking fresh and uh keep up the weeding weeding this time absolutely it's important to get rid of the weeds before they get too established what about remulching i see some of my mulch is starting to fade a little bit maybe throw a little bit extra on to kind of keep that moisture in yeah it's not a bad idea and especially at you know toward the end of the season you want to give once you remove all the all the dead stalks, you want to kind of give it another mulch to protect everything for over the winter. All right, B, lots to do. Certainly some enjoyment uh, with those dahlias. And I'll send you some gladiolas that are starting to look pretty amazing, absolutely. too. It's also that time of year to sit back and enjoy a little bit, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, cut. You know, I think sometimes I'm I'm always I'm afraid to cut the flowers. You know, like I want to leave them grow in the garden, but sometimes they're a little bit prettier if you do cut them and put them in a vase and stuff. Dahlias especially. Yeah, they are. <laughs> B, it's good to talk with you. We'll talk to you when we get to fall. Sounds good. Thank you. We mentioned this last time, but we'll do it again. Brian has his own podcast where he kind of delves into some of these subjects about your garden. It's called Fresh Clippings, and it can be accessed on podbean.com, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com. Again, the name of the podcast, Fresh Clippings. Looks like uh, Brian's talking about some water features, putting a pond in your garden or some watering tips right in line with some of the stuff we were talking about. Again, it's Fresh Clippings, Brian's podcast on podbean.com. And you can do a search there. When we come back, our friend Bill Dager will join me. Talk about the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond. This is Everything Under the Sun, Episode 9 of our summer series from AccuWeather.com. This podcast is sponsored by the NHTSA. Every year, children die from being left alone in cars. If you see a child left unattended, call 911 immediately. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. I'm AccuWeather Meteorologist Dean DeVore as we continue this week's episode with our traditional end of episode segment where we 
take a look at the weather for this upcoming weekend and the week beyond. And as this podcast drops in the early hours of Friday morning, we're getting over a severe weather event that uh, was uh, certainly not necessarily the way we looked at it a day or two before. It was uh, certainly something that uh, evolved, and and that's the way these uh, systems seem to be going. And we're leading into a continuation of uh, heat and humidity that uh, is going to build in some places. But I think there's going to be a lot of folks as we head into this uh, first, well, it's a calendar change weekend, right? We're going from July to August. And so there are going to be a lot of folks that by the next few days are going to wonder, are we really going into August? To answer that question, are we really going into August? (laughs) Is our AccuWeather meteorologist and friend, Bill Dager. We better be going into August because it's my birthday month. Oh, so. there. See, I my birthday month is June. And, you know, that ended up being a pretty good month, yeah. you know, at least here in the Northeast. Uh, don't tell the folks out West. So, look, <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit. One thing is I know um, as we drop this on Friday morning, we look back on that uh, Wednesday night, Thursday scenario, and there was a lot of calls for the potential for a derecho um, in my career here at AccuWeather, derechos are one of the, and, and what a derecho is, let's talk about that for a second, because I think that word gets thrown around and it's one of those words that we still don't have a lot of people necessarily understanding it, except those of us who are in the weather field. Really, it's a straight line wind event. In other words, there's kind of like, if you think of it like a plow of, of uh, strong energy and winds that are just plowing through the atmosphere, they get going with momentum and they add to that. And at the surface, it can translate into winds that have the speeds of tornadoes, small tornadoes, but it's in a straight line direction and can cause all that damage. And to me, Bill, you know, derechos are one of those things. I think sometimes when we most expect it, they don't seem to happen. And sometimes when we least expect it or don't think about it, they can pop up. It's it's one of those hard scenarios to kind of look ahead. Everything's got to be right for that to happen. Yeah, it really does. You have to have all the ingredients into place. A derecho lasts for many hours on end. It lasts for hundreds of miles and it has to produce wind damage along its entire swath. I think the one that stands out to me most is the one that happened in June 2012 that went right. from about Chicago through the mid-Atlantic. Basically, it was there the whole day right into the evening and brought damage to that entire corridor. And yeah, we did have some of the ingredients in place. You, you know, you usually see that on the, the edge of a ridge of high pressure, a heat dome, if you will. You have to have some colder air, some energy dropping in from the north. Uh, but it, it, you just have to get everything together perfectly for it to last that long and yeah, I, I don't know. The criteria probably wasn't met for this. Uh, no, event. no. I mean, and but look, it was impressive too. where those showers and thunderstorms from that complex push. And then it kind of, you know, when that happens and this is what happens in weather. And I don't think people understand as much when we're giving you the forecast two or three days out. We're looking at a set of models based on things that we expect to happen when something like that changes. And, you know, Obviously, the showers and thunderstorms pushed far. They pushed down into Ohio on Thursday and into uh, Indiana and were pretty bad. And then that energy started to get cooking towards the east with showers and thunderstorms and downpours. But it then changes some of the parameters that we're looking forward for. So where we may have expected, you know, gustier winds farther north, we may have to change that. And that's kind of the way that played out as we went into through the day Thursday and into Friday morning. Here as we stand Friday morning. Again, this is amazing amounts of cool air. And and Bill and I were talking about this off air. We had this now, it seems like a every quarterly push, right? February, we had one in May. 
July was uh, had a little bit of a push, but now here we are to start July and August. We're getting another gift from the Hudson Bay Company. Uh, the Hudson Bay Cool Pocket of Air is pushing back down south again. And again, there's going to be a lot of folks, Great Lakes into the Northeast. I don't think they're necessarily going to complain, but they're going to be scratching their head and wondering, if, if, are we really going into August? Or are we going into September here with this air mass? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll call it persistent troughiness over the Great Lakes, uh, Eastern Canada and the Northeast here for at least the next week. And then models are trying to kind of kind of struggling once we get to, toward the second week of August as to whether the troughiness stays there or begins to see that ridge building back east. But you're right, daytime high temperatures up to 10 to 15 degrees below normal in some areas. Nighttime lows dipping into the 40s uh, for a few nights, probably, and across the Ooh, interior northeast. Jacket worthy, uh, right? Grab the jacket for, yeah. for a few hours each morning. Yes. Yeah, I'm going camping this weekend in the Poconos. And I think uh, <laughs> Joel and I just, uh, you know, we're arguing back, not arguing. We don't argue. We just discuss. Never. Like, but we were discussing whether or not we wanted to take the heater. And I said that I think I'd brave it out with the uh your thing. So, you know, as we talk in weather all the time, too, for every action, there's an opposite reaction. While we're troughing it up in the east, we're ridging it up again in the west. And so that heat is going northward again, up above, uh, beyond the uh, United States Canadian border, up into western Canada. A lot of heat and then monsoon moisture coming up with a uh, shower and thunderstorm action at some dry thunderstorms. Right. And maybe a little moisture as we get up into parts of the yeah. west here over the weekend. Yeah, let's talk about that monsoon because it has been an active monsoon season, especially compared to last year when there wasn't too much going on. But uh, yeah, we will see that as we head into the weekend. We'll see that building into more of the Great Basin, even parts of the Northwest uh, that that desperately need the rain. We'll be seeing some of that uh, around this ridge of high pressure. And, and, uh, you know, the monsoon moisture has put a dent into the drought a little bit in the Four Corners region. It's still a long way to go, but you you also mentioned you know the risk of dry thunderstorms and lightning yeah. with, with these events and that's especially common on the western side of the monsoon moisture there in the Sierra Nevada region that threat unfortunately there as we head into the weekend yeah it's going to be an interesting look and you know it just it boggles my mind that you know i i really think when and and we're seeing these swings right the the uh, the atmosphere the jet stream gets these wild troughs and ridges and it just tells me that while we have general ideas of what's going on forward, uh, we may get a surprise. Just your thoughts real quick on and I haven't had a lot of time to look the last couple of days. Where are we at? I know we had and, and we talked about this the last couple of weeks. We're going to have that pause in the tropics and certainly in the eastern uh, in the Atlantic Basin. We have not had anything really going on. How's that looking here over the next uh, week or so? Yeah, you know, uh, I, I have a vested interest in this because we're headed to the Outer Banks uh, during the second week of August. There you and, go. Uh, yeah, you know, one thing we'll have to keep an eye on with with this persistent troughiness in the east and these waves of energy riding along it is does something break off from the main flow and try mm. to develop off the east coast maybe mm. within the next week or two? Haven't really mm. seen that uh, happening or any signs of that, but I'm just a little concerned. No, but those that. are the, those are the ones that happen, you know, all of a sudden the models start picking up in the two or three days before it happens. Right. And, and we're kind of caught blind, but you're right. The pattern with that trough showers and thunderstorms that, you know, mid Atlantic back to parts of the Southeast are going to be persistent because the cool air and the warm air are fighting. And yeah, right along that uh, in the lee of that trough, uh, something could, could certainly bubble up either in the Eastern Gulf or, or the Atlantic right off the uh, Carolina, Georgia coast, I think would be something that we have to keep an eye on the next couple of weeks. 
Absolutely. And of course, if we're going to return to ridging in about a week, week and a half, a little bit there in the Southeast, as some models are showing that area of high pressure over the plains drifting to the Southeast, uh, that also could help steer some tropical systems a little bit closer to the U.S. if they form further out in the Atlantic. Of course, right now, plenty of dry air, plenty of Saharan dust. uh, So I have to see that go away for there to be any development further out in the basin. But uh, yeah, the pattern in the upper levels in the eastern part of the U.S. very important as to where these storms develop and eventually go if they develop further out uh, to sea. All right, I'm writing this down. Digger needs nice weather second week, third week. Of yeah, beginning uh-huh. Sunday the 8th, if you could order that for the Outer Banks, I'd appreciate it. People didn't treat me so well when I had my Cape Cod vacation. We didn't have <laughs> as the nicest beach days as, as we yeah, uh, had. Yeah, and I know who's going to get the blame, too, among my family if uh, if the weather oh, goes down. That's, all, that's always the way. Bill, it's great to catch up with you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for talking about the weather this weekend and the week beyond. Yep, not a problem. Thanks, Dean. So make sure as you go through this upcoming weekend and the week beyond, you're doing everything you can to weatherproof your life by checking out your latest forecasts on our AccuWeather.com apps, our AccuWeather.com website, our AccuWeather media partners, and our AccuWeather network with Bernie Reno and all that great crew. You can get the AccuWeather story here and figure out how your weather is going to be for your next few days as we continue to watch some of the big weather trends. When we come back next week, one of the trends we've been seeing is with all the smoke and wildfire situation and all the smoke that's been coming across the country and creating pockets of bad air quality at times, how that's kind of meshing with and influencing this COVID-19 resurgence where we've seen the Delta variant take hold in places. That kind of nexus between air quality and our health as we continue to deal with COVID will be a subject for our podcast next week in episode 10 of the summer series. Thanks to our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, not only for the work on this week's episode, but the last couple of weeks, too, as we've been transitioning through our vacation weeks. We come back. It's episode number 10. The first full weekend of August will be in our sights next week. For all of us with AccuWeather, our hundreds of team members across the country work so hard to weatherproof your life every day. I'm meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Episode 10 of the summer series of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. 